Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, Holiday Stories 15, you'll hear Christian Finnegan. I would not stop putting tinsel on the tree until it looked like it had been like gangbanged by cyborgs, just, just coated in tinsel. That and more. But before that, I want to give a shout out to our latest Patreon member, Line Handler. We're always so happy to give a shout out to anyone who donates $25 per month or more over at patreon.com slash risk. And we are so hugely grateful for it. We couldn't keep the show running without the help of folks who love the show. And in our 14th year of doing this, we're dead set determined to keep on keeping on with amazing episodes like this latest Holiday Stories episode you are about to hear. So don't forget, you can find so many bonus stories and check-ins with Risk staff and Risk storytellers over at patreon.com slash risk. We'll be right back. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, this is Kelly Finnegan behind me now, and this is Holiday Stories 15. 
Since we started the show in 2009, we have had so many hilarious and heartwarming and bizarre and unforgettable moments in our annual winter holiday special. The last few years have been harder on us. I'm sure they have been for you too, which is why we're so grateful that the show is better than ever. We've got a ton of laughter and tears and what the fuck moments coming up in today's episode as well. It's pretty jam-packed. In a little bit, we're going to hear from one of our favorite people in the world, Dixie De La Tour, whose story was recorded at her own show, Body Storytelling, based in San Francisco. And Dixie's teaching a workshop called How to Tell a Body Story, starting on January 24th in 2023. So go to bodystorytelling.com to learn about that. But before that, a beautiful story by Ryan Sorois Heller, who you can find at ryanheller.com. This is Ryan's second time on the show, and each time he has been such a treat. But, like I said, this is a jam-packed one, so before that even, <laughs> we're going to hear from Risk favorite, Christian Finnegan. This is one you can also hear on Christian's special and album titled Show Your Work, Christian also has a phenomenal music newsletter called New Music for Olds at newmusicforolds.substack.com. And here he is now with a story we call The Christmas Pinata. This is something that happened to me when I was seven years old and my older brother John was nine. We came home on Christmas Eve. We had a half day of school and my mother was in a panic. And she said, we gotta get in the car because right now we have to go out, we have to buy a pinata. <laughs> no, she's right to be weirded out. That's very strange. That's a very strange thing to want to do on Christmas Eve. I should say for the record, my mother was severely mentally ill. She had borderline personality disorder, which you don't know when you're seven years old. You're just like, wow, mommy's fun. <laughs> Until she's not. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, at seven years old, pinata, I'm in, right? I'm like, pinata, pinata, pinata. And so we drove around, and I don't know if any of you have ever tried to purchase a pinata in December in suburban Massachusetts. It's not a real big Mexi culture, but uh, we went to Sears, we went to Kmart, we went to Lechmere, RIP. And uh, finally, we found uh, like a place that had one of those just Cinco de Mayo donkeys. And my, and my brother, John, was like, Mom, that's a donkey. And she's like, it's a reindeer. Uh, and he's like, but Mom, it's yellow and purple and green. It's a Mexican reindeer. Feliz Navidad. And so we brought home this piñata. And I was like ready to go. I'm like, piñata, piñata, piñata. My mom's like, no, you have to wait until your father gets home, which I knew was going to ruin everything because... My father is a lovely man. He's mellowed out a lot over the years. But when I was a kid, my dad would show up every day at like six o'clock from work, just filled to the brim with Irish Catholic impotent rage. <laughs> Did anybody have a dad who would like swear through clenched teeth? And like, 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 until I was 12, I thought my dad's jaw was wired shut. It's like, like all the time. And so he came home and we were like, piñata, piñata. He's like, no, piñata. We have to go buy a Christmas tree. We had a piñata, we had no Christmas tree. 
because we had a family tradition, a Finnegan family tradition, where you would only buy a Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. Then I get older, and I discover that Christmas trees go 50% on sale on Christmas Eve. So it's not so much a tradition as a cost-saving measure. Every year, our Christmas tree was like a Charlie Brown special, like some scoliosis piece of shit that we would bring home. And then we'd have to spend about 90 minutes while my father tried to, to put up the tree. And younger people, you really lucked out because tree stand technology has really advanced over the years. When I was a kid, you had to impale the Christmas tree onto a spike. I don't know if you like ram it on, a, which was weird for Catholics, but we, we ran. <laughs> You had to ram the tree on a spike and then drill screws into the side of it like it was like Frankenstein's monster, right? And then my dad would eventually give up and drill a screw in the wall and use twine so the tree would like lean forward slightly. Like if you were to hit it, it would like swing like a pendulum, you know? And then we had to dress the tree. And this is where young people miss out. You guys were not around for the golden age of tinsel. Yeah, tinsel. The trashiest of all holiday decorations. The little thin strips of... Oh, did I love me some tinsel. I would just keep throwing gobs of tinsel on the tree. My dad would be like, one strand at a time. I would not stop putting tinsel on the tree until it looked like it had been like gangbanged by cyborgs. Just, Just coated in tinsel. Can't stop, won't stop. So by now, it's like 8.30, 9 o'clock. We sat down, we had our angry dinner, and... You think, oh, okay, 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve, probably time for the family to settle in and have a nice Christmas Eve. Wrong. Because we were Catholic. And do you know what that means? Midnight Mass. Yes, if you are Catholic, you have to go to Mass at midnight on Christmas Eve. Because when you are Catholic, nothing can ever be purely enjoyable. Everything nice must be mixed with something shitty. So that you never forget that you do not deserve joy. Also, my uncle was a priest, so we had to drive all the way to downtown Boston like it was his fucking gig. And so we drove into downtown Boston. My uncle did mass. We got home at like 2.15 in the morning, and my dad's like, go to bed, Santa's gonna be here. And I'm just like, piñata, 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 piñata. He's like, fucking fuck. And at this point, he didn't want to take the time to actually hang the piñata from the ceiling. So what he did is he, he, he took his belt off and he strung the piñata on his belt, and then he and my mother stood about six feet apart with the piñata dangling in the middle. And then they put a blindfold on my brother John and gave him a wiffle ball bat. Some of you have a sense of where this may be going. I should say for the record, my brother John is not an athlete. Uh, very active in the Dungeons & Dragons community. Uh, more of a sword kid than a bat kid, but uh, they gave, he did his best. They gave him his wiffle ball bat, and he wound up, and he took a big cut, and he missed the pinata entirely, and he hit my mother right in the, um, the teacher bulge. Do, do you know what a teacher bulge is? You might know it as a, as a fupa, uh, fat upper pussy area. Uh, I've also heard it called a gunt. Um, I'm sorry, I did not make those words up. We call it a teacher bulge because we were innocents, right? Because all the teachers in our elementary school would have their like polyester pants up to the rib cage, and then there'd just be that little bloop, like we call we call that a teacher bulge. And by the way, I'm not body shaming, okay? Men's bodies are just as disgusting. They're just different, okay? Women have teacher bulges, men have front butts. But uh, 
So my brother nailed my mother right in the fupa, and she buckled over and started screaming, my ovaries, my ovaries. My dad was like, fucking fuck, fuck. And then my brother started going to town on the pinata, which was now lying on the ground. So my most cherished holiday memory is of my mother in the fetal position with my dad swearing at her through clenched teeth while my brother beat the crap out of a paper mache donkey that then split open and there was nothing inside because my mom didn't put candy in it. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Guys, you have made this my very favorite night of 2020. I want to thank you guys for coming out. Viva QED. Onward. I was six months sober from drugs and alcohol when this guy that I was dating for the past year invited me to come home with him for the holidays. This is shortly after he had found me in our guest bathroom. It was about midnight with my face buried in a plate of crushed up Xanax and a dollar bill rolled up into my nose. And when he asked me, What I was doing, caught red-handed, I did what I always did, what I always knew how to do, which was deny and lie and minimize the situation. And I told him, Chris, no, 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 the doctor told me to take my pills this way because orally doesn't work anymore, which obviously he didn't buy any of. And he gave me an ultimatum that I either go to rehab or we were over. So I... Did I went to rehab for 30 days. I ended up going to AA where I met my sponsor. His name was Spiro. 
Just after rehab, I started to see a psychiatrist who thought it would be a great idea to prescribe me nine different medications from antipsychotics to antidepressants to craving blockers. And by the time the holidays rolled around, I was like a walking zombie. I mean, quite literally foaming at the mouth at times. So leading up to going to Chris's family's house in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I was a nervous wreck. I had spent so much of my life trying to hide what I was doing and who I was that the thought of going up and meeting his incredibly extensive family was horrifying, that they would see me for who I was. And as a Jew from South Florida, going up for Christmas festivities to all of these parties was like a foreign concept. So I became like this just bag of nerves and psychosis. So here we are. I get to Chris's parents' house, who I had only met maybe twice before. And I'm trying to put on all of the facades that I could. You know, like the cool guy, the likable, charming, funny, witty guy. And we were in the living room. And I swear, from across the distance, addicts have this, like, sixth sense. I could see in the kitchen this orange pill bottle, like gloriously shining, beckoning me forward. And I could read from afar the words Vicodin. It took everything out of me to walk in that kitchen for those next three days, close my eyes, put my head up, try to avoid seeing it, but it whispered in my ear, especially at night. It would just infiltrate my thoughts until Christmas night. We were driving back from one of the hundred thousandth Christmas parties that we had attended with his family, which by that point I was fried. I mean, under all of the medicines that I was on and having to be around so many people and just try so hard to be likable, to be better than I thought I was. We get back to his house and Chris goes up to the bathroom. We were the first ones back. And it was like a switch flipped in my brain and I was on autopilot. I went straight into the kitchen. I grabbed that orange pill bottle. I turned that childproof cap, which in itself is like a catharsis. And I took out one of those little white oval shapes, put it in my hand, stared at it, and just popped it into my mouth. And I felt it slide down my throat. And in that moment, it just felt like everything was going to be okay. And I put the cap back on, the pill bottle on the counter. And I go to turn around, and there's Chris, standing right behind me. And I'll never forget the look on his face In his eyes, it was pure rage mixed with sadness and disappointment. And he just looks at me and he says, what the fuck are you doing? And the wheels start spinning immediately. 
Again, I do what I've always done, which is to take no responsibility. And I say, no, Chris, this is not what it looks like. I just wanted to see what it was. But he saw me. He saw me. And he says, get upstairs, pack your bags. You are flying back to Florida right now. Get the fuck out of this house. And it was like ice went through my veins, like daggers just going all down the ice. I was going to lose everything. And I didn't know what the fuck to do. I go upstairs. He's screaming at me the entire time, just chasing me up the stairs, throwing every fuck you he could possibly muster. And I, I get it. I get it. And I pick up the phone and I call my sponsor. It's the only thing I knew to do. And I'm pleading with him, tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Like, he's got every answer in the book in my mind. And he says, Ryan, tell Chris this is part of the process. Relapse is part of recovery. You'll go to meetings. And so Chris comes in and I'm like, Chris, I'm going to go to meetings. This is part of the process. I'm going to be okay. I'm so sorry. And Chris says, fuck you. This is fucking over. Get out. Fuck you. Fuck you. And he leaves, and I say, Spiro, this is not going to work. I'm done. We're over. And he says, Ryan, you need to do something you've never done in your life. You need to do something different. Go downstairs and take ownership. Apologize to Chris. Apologize to his parents for what you've done. And I'm like... Okay, but, mm, and I tried to negotiate with him, you know, like his parents weren't there. They didn't know. Maybe I could just say something to Chris. There's no reason to bring up everything to everybody. And he says, no, Ryan, this is time to make a change. Be responsible for your actions. And I said, okay, at this point, I've got nothing else. So I start to make that descent downstairs. I hear his parents, they've come home. And it was like one foot in front of the other. I am just filled with embarrassment and shame, trembling like a fucking little leaf. And I get to the base of the stairs in the living room. His parents happen to be standing right there. So I know Chris must have told them. Chris is standing over in the doorway between the living room and the kitchen and he's just glaring at me. And I tell his parents, I have to talk to you. And they look at me and they're waiting. And I say, you know what I've done. So, um, I'm, I'm sorry. And they're looking at me like, what, what are you talking about? And I realize in that moment that Chris has never said anything. And I was going to actually have to admit. So I said, I'm so sorry I took the Vicodin that was on the counter. And his mom looks at me. And then it washes over her face what that means. And then his dad looks at me. And he's this big, warm bear of a man. And he says, that's okay. Listen, 
Anything in our house is yours. You're welcome here. Whatever you need, you take. Don't worry about it. And it was like, you just turned the knife in my heart. I felt terrible because all they wanted to do was make me feel welcome in their home. He didn't get it. And his mom gives him a nudge and a look. And she says, he relapsed. And just when I think that they're going to ask me to leave their home and kick me out, they open their arms and they embrace me and they tell me it's going to be okay. And Chris and I go out for this car ride. It was the longest car ride in the world immediately after. And I just try to convince him that I'll change, that it'll be okay. And as we're driving, it's late, it's black outside, and there's just twinkling Christmas lights everywhere. There's snow on the ground. I see in people's windows the Christmas trees, and it's so beautiful and happy and cheerful. And in this car right now, it feels like the loneliest, saddest place I've ever been. But he stayed. Chris, for his own reasons, gave me another shot. And we've since spent 12 Christmases in Lancaster, Pennsylvania together. We've been married for seven years. We have two beautiful kids together. And I've been sober for 11 years. That night was my first, my only, relapse. And that was the first time in my life that I had taken ownership, not just over my actions, but of myself. Because I had a choice. I could have done what I always did, or I could give myself the grace to be me. And it's just made all the difference in the world. And for this Jew from, from South Florida, that was my very first Christmas miracle. to have this Christmas tradition. My family's on the East Coast in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I wasn't going to travel during Christmas, and I wasn't that close to my family anyway. So I used to be the person who would 
pet sitter house sit for people while they traveled for the holidays. This served several purposes. My friends thought I was this benevolent goddess because I was always willing to do it for free. But in reality, I would have my Christmas tradition, which is fucking a stranger off the internet in your house because I ain't gonna fuck him in my house because then he knows where I live. <laughs> but I wouldn't tell the person I was pet sitting for usually. I'm going to hell too. <laughs> I did this every year. I had this routine that I was doing it. And this one year, I'm house-sitting for this woman, Sherry. She's got this cute little craftsman cottage in Oakland. It's just adorable. And I park in front of the house. I come in. She's giving me the keys. She's giving me the tour. There's this barca lounger in front of this wood stove. This is big brown leather sofa and a giant TV. You know, I live in a tiny studio, so this is like fancy for me. I'm looking around and she's showing me the bedroom. Sheets are all nice and clean. And as I'm in the bedroom, I look out the window and I can see that there's a lower level and there's a garden out there and there's a tree and there's a little old man trimming a rose bush. I'm like, holy shit, you're fancy. Like, you've got like gardener who comes in and I don't say it I just think it you know she gives me the keys she heads off to the other coast and I start planning my annual Christmas fuck off the way that it always works is that I am going to place an ad probably the morning of Christmas Eve I am going to get a bunch of responses I'm going to choose three people and then I'm going to meet them and see if I feel like fucking them on Christmas and I've done this for years. I have this, you know, total routine. This particular year, I go to Alameda and I meet these two guys who look really good and hot in their pictures. And when I show up, they look like Beavis and Butthead if they were 15 years old. And they're like nudging each other like, oh, we're going to fuck the redhead. And I'm like, no, you're not, guys. You lose. I am leaving. And I head into San Francisco for my second date of the day, of the three. And I get there, I get to where I'm going to meet him in San Francisco. I text him and I say, hey, I've arrived. Nothing. He doesn't respond. Text him again, nothing. And I'm like, well, time's slipping by. I wait for a minute. I call the guy who's going to be the third date on Christmas Eve. And I say, hey, just want to make sure we're still on for later on today. And he's like, yeah, I'm already in a bar in Oakland waiting for you. I'll be here. So finally, I just call the second guy, whose name is Ned. And I'm really surprised where after the texting, he picks up the phone. And he says, yeah, I'm sorry, I just can't meet you. And I'm like, why? And he goes, because... I'm going to want to do really improper things to you, and I don't think it's fair that I have these thoughts about you. And I'm like, women have Craigslist casual encounters. That's actually <laughs> the objective. And he goes, but I've been thinking about what I want to do to you, and I have these fantasies. I'm like, we haven't talked about these fantasies. Why don't you tell me what they are? He goes, I can't, because then I'm going to want to do them to you. And he hangs up abruptly. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I didn't fuck a nut job, so that was cool. <laughs> so I get in the car, and I drive to Oakland. I get to the third date, the third wise men of Christmas Eve. <laughs> He's sitting at this dive bar on Piedmont Avenue in Oakland. He's got blonde curly hair. He's 10 years younger than me. He's got big green eyes and his eyes light up when I walk in. He's very excited about the way I look. Of course, I'm rocking cleavage like that, so that kind of helped. <laughs> and I sit down next to him and he goes, Hey, how are you? And I'm like, I have had a day. 
And he goes, tell me about your day. He orders me a drink. We sit there and we have drinks. And I tell him about my Christmas tradition, where I get together with people, decide who I'm going to fuck. And he goes, but you're here on Christmas night. And I'm like, I put you last because I was pretty sure you were going to be the winner. And he's like, well, I was really nervous about doing this because I don't usually fuck people off the internet, so I showed up like two hours early. I'm like, yeah, I noticed you were here when I called earlier. (laughs) Bartender announces Christmas Eve, we're closing down. And I'm like, so what do you think? He's like, I think yes. And when he goes to stand up off his bar stool, he goes, oh, shit. I was drinking those whole two hours before you showed up. My dick ain't gonna work. And I'm like, well, that's disappointing because I was pretty excited about you when I walked in the bar. And he goes, you wouldn't happen to have any Viagra or Cialis, would you? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, I do. (laughs) We get in a lift. We go to my house. I give him a pill. The fucking lift driver watches him pop a Cialis. And then he's looking at me like, this is going to be a good night, you know? We go to this cute little craftsman cottage in Oakland, and I've got the run of the place. Nobody's there. And uh, we walk in. I'm like, maybe we should put some music on. We try and figure out the stereo, but she hadn't shown me how to use the stereo. And I'm like, well, it just kind of feels like that's going to be weird just fucking for hours because you just took Cialis, so it is going to be for hours. So um, we should put something on. So I turn on the TV, and a Christmas story is playing. (laughs) And it's on TBS, so it's 24 hours of a Christmas story. So by now, the Cialis has kicked in, and we're starting to get down to it. And it's just kind of like, fucking a bed, that's kind of boring. So we start fucking everywhere else we can think of. We fuck on that big brown leather couch in front of the TV. We fuck in front of the fireplace. We fuck in the bark lounge. We fuck on top of the tile counter in the kitchen while my knees are on the bar stool trying not to slide off. Like, we are fucking all over the house. We're in the kitchen on top of the tile counter when we hear, you're going to put your eye out, kid. (laughs) And we both just laugh so fucking hard. And I'm like, okay, I have an idea. How about this? Okay, here's what we're going to do. Every single time they say you're going to put your eye out, kid, we have to come at the same time. That's the game. And he's like, really? And I'm like, okay, starting after that one. We've seen this movie so many times. We know when it's going to come, pretty much. So we're fucking in a, like in the Barker lounger in front of the fire, and we can tell that line is about to come up. So while I'm just furiously rubbing my clit, he's fucking like crazy. We're both trying to get to that. Like, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. you got to put your eye out, kid. Oh! And now he's on Cialis. We're going to fuck for hours. So we just start making sure that, you know, when we know it's coming up again, the movie starts over, the movie starts over. We make sure that we are somewhere where we can hear it so that we can both come at the same time whenever he says this. And after like nine hours of fucking all over this house, eventually he goes, I don't have any fluids left in my body anymore. It's now 8 or 9 a.m. on Christmas Day. And he says, "Um, I think I'm going to leave, but this was a really memorable Christmas. (laughs) And I say, thanks. I uh, order a pizza. 
I lay on the brown leather couch we fucked all over. I'm laying there in just my underwear and a fucking baseball jersey, eating pizza, just going, that was a fucking fun adventure. And again, you know, you put your eye out, kid comes on, and now it's kind of (laughs) racy. Now I've got all these positive associations with it. So I lounge around for a little while, and then I realize that the people whose house I'm staying in are coming back Christmas night. So I've done this plenty of times. I have a routine. I throw the sheets in the washer. I clean everything up really well. I load the dishwasher. I make sure the cats have all their food. And I go through and I find every used condom in the house. And I stuff it way down in the garbage can and take the garbage outside. And I look around. There's no evidence. Yeah, I'm going to get away with this. I take my suitcase. I head home like two hours before they're supposed to get back because I'm not that good a liar face to face. (laughs) So I want to make sure I've cleared out. I get home. I settle back in. And the phone rings two hours later. And I see that it's Sherry, whose house I've just stayed at. And I'm like, oh, that's not a good sign. (laughs) And I pick up the phone and I go, hey, hey, Sherry, how are you? How was your trip? How was your flight? And she goes, it was great. Yeah, we got back a little while ago. Can I, um, so I have a question for you. (laughs) Did you have any friends over while you were staying here at the house? And I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, uh, mm, uh, yeah, uh, some, yeah. Yeah, I had a friend. A friend came in from out of town. I know them really well. I know them really well. They just happened to come out of town. Known them for years. So, yeah, they came over to your house, and we just hung out. This person I've known for years, we just hung out for a little while. I'm trying to figure out what I could have possibly left to indict myself. And she says, well, we got on our front porch, and we still had our suitcases on the front stoop, putting our keys in the front door, and the little old man who lives downstairs on the craftsman cottage came to our front door, and he went, are y'all just getting in? And they're like, yeah, we just got back from the East Coast. He goes, he's looking at the suitcases, did you guys have a house sitter or a pet sitter while you were gone? <laughs> And she goes, yeah. And he goes, well, let me tell you about your pet sitter. (laughs) He pushes past her into her house and he goes, your pet sitter fucked right there and right there and right there and right there. And Sherry said, I should have told you the floors are so thin. You take a breath upstairs, they can hear everything. She never asked me to house sit for her again. But I can tell you, whenever I see a Christmas story, I get this special little tingle. Christmas story. I'll bet you never guess what I had you for Christmas. What would you like for Christmas? I want an official Red Rider Cup and Action 2 and a chair wearing the ball air rifle. No. BB guns are dangerous. I'm gonna come. Shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas.
This is Risk. This is Brenda Lee behind me now with Papa Noel, a very Cajun Christmas tune. And we just heard a little interstitial called Let's Shoot by our editor, Hope Brush. Uh, Longtime Risk listeners just might have recognized those last five orgasm sounds in that one. Could have even been a little bit of a post-hypnotic trigger as to whether or not you end up wasting any time going to the post office today. And before that, a beautiful rendition of the classic Christmas carol In the Bleak Midwinter by Voses 8, which followed Ryan Saroy's Heller's lovely story. And that was preceded by Matt Mulholland's one-of-a-kind cover of Oh Holy Night (laughs) that he said he conceived of when he was 13 years old with all of the lyrics replaced by the word penis. We'll be right back. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We're back.
a little Up on the Housetop by Dennis Soleil here. And our last two stories are short but sweet. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Jen Curcio, Jen's first time on the show. But before that, another risk regular, Ryan Estrada is back with somewhat of a sequel to the story he told on our Halloween special this year. Now, Ryan draws comics, and you can find them all at ryanestrada.com. And here he is now with a story we call Roasting on an Open Fire. So, on this year's Risk Halloween episode, I told that story about the time I set myself on fire in the process of preparing holiday decor. Three minutes of running around the yard engulfed in flames later, my mother was ripping the shirt off of me and rushing to the emergency room. I sat, sizzling like fried chicken, my hair all melted together. Well, that wasn't actually the first time I did that. It had happened one time previously on Christmas 1984. The snow was falling, the music was accompanied by sleigh bells, and I knew exactly what all that meant, all right? I'd been the spoiled rotten only child for four years, so I had had my fair share of big Christmases. I knew it was going to be huge. It meant a whole room full of presents. My novelty stocking was bigger than I was. But that December, before Christmas even began, I got a very different kind of present. One that changed everything. A baby brother. I started to suspect that maybe that might mean less presence and less attention for me. And you know what? I was into it. Okay, I was young, but I'd read enough of those pandering, condescending Big Brother books to know the cliches, okay? And I was bound and determined to prove that I was not the jealous brat upset about another baby in the house. Oh, oh no, oh no! I'm not another baby. I am no kind of baby at all. In fact, this development meant that I was finally being upgraded to grown-up. Okay, I was at the adult table this year, son. And I was going to prove it at the Cut Your Own Christmas Tree Farm. I've been every year. I knew the drill. I put on my finest 1980s giant plasticky puffy neon pink and green coat that I'd gotten the previous year, and I headed out to be a little lumberjack. I started off by asking if I could carry this off. Parents nixed that right away, said, you're not old enough. They wouldn't even let me carry my brother. However, my dad did allow me a few supervised moments to try and cut down the tree. I gave the equivalent of a paper cut and I kindly let my dad have a turn, and when he finished the job, I got to brag to my brother that I had helped. See, I was old enough to handle a saw. I wasn't dumb enough to put myself or the baby in danger. So, when it came time for mom and dad to get the tree wrapped and load it on the hood of the car, I had another chance. I'm like, look, you guys got this. You can handle it. I'll take the baby. We'll head over the fire barrel and warm up while you get that situated. And they're like, you know what? proven himself a sensible adult, so they agreed. Got the baby in my arms, went over, got warm and toasty and nice and no problems at all. Or so I thought. A minute later, I suddenly saw my mom just booking it toward me. And I'm not talking like in a, good to see you, I better run so I can see you faster kind of way. I'm talking legs flying, arms pumping like the T-1000 and Terminator 2. Her eyes were laser focused on me like steel. With one arm, she grabbed the baby out of mine and she 
flings me across the room, butt first with the other into a snowbank. And she flips me on my face into the snow and starts beating me in the back and the bottom. And I'm like, what, what did I do? Did, why is my mom beating me? My mom's never hit me before. Is this what adulthood's like? Like now that I'm up here, it's cool to just challenge me to a fist fight in the middle of the tree farm? So I get up, I'm like, mom, what the hell? That's when my puffy coat drooped down each sleeve. And I gave it a little sniff and smelled melted plastic. I turned around to see neon goo oozing down the barrel. I realized what my mom had seen that I hadn't. I decided to warm up not by standing near the fire barrel, but by leaning on it. And unbeknownst to me, the entire back half of my coat had melted off puffy layer by puffy layer into bubbling plastic on my skin. My mom beating snow into my back as it reached the last layer was the only thing that kept me from melting my skin off. Turns out, I still had a few things to learn. And that Christmas, I found out that my mother had gone out of her way even after childbirth to make sure to pack the room double high with presents so I didn't feel left out. And you know what? They're pretty good presents. It's a pretty good Christmas. So I decided that maybe staying at the kids' table a couple more years wasn't all that bad.
I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, about an hour outside of Philadelphia. And I wouldn't say it lacked diversity, but as a third grader in 1993, I had never met a Jewish person until we had a new student join the class in the middle of the year. Her name was Kara. And to add to the incredibly awkward moment of joining a class in the middle of the year, our teacher made her stand up and tell everyone what made her unique. Well, Kara took one look around that classroom and said, I'm unique because I'm Jewish. And then she explained that Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah instead of Christmas. And instead of one night of gift giving, they have eight. And that's when I was sold. I raised my hand and I said, hey, I'd like to sign up to become Jewish. How do I do it? And she said, well, you can come to my Jewish, uh, my Hanukkah dinner on Friday. And I was stoked. I ran home and I told my grandma and my mom, hey, I'm ditching that whole Catholic thing and I'm becoming Jewish on Friday. Can I get a ride? And they were like, it doesn't work like that, but sure, we will gladly give you a ride. So that Friday, we pull up to Kara's house and I'm so excited. I run out the car and I run up the front steps and I knock on the door and I just stop dead in my tracks because her mom opens the door and she is the most beautiful woman I've actually seen in real life. Like, sure, I've seen Cindy Crawford on TV, but this is someone in real life who is beautiful. And she had long strawberry blonde hair and bright blue eyes. And to top all of this off, Linger by the Cranberries is playing in the background. I'm just in shock of how beautiful she is. And she's cool. Like, she's hipper than any mom I've ever seen. And I get inside and I make the decision to put all childish things behind me. There's only Kara's mom now. And despite the fact that Kara had the Barbie dream house I'd been dying to play with, I don't play with it. And I say, hey, I think we should help your mom cook dinner. So I roll up my sleeves and I wash my filthy child hands and I get to work making those lockies. And the whole dinner was just beautiful and delicious and I had such a good time and I was so into Jan, Kara's mom. And when my mom picked me up that night, she said, how was dinner? And I said, mom, I think I'm Jewish. But what I really meant to say was, mom, I'm definitely gay.
Someday you'll be dead, 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 dead. Someday we'll all be dead. The minute we're born, we start dying. We die a little more every day. Young or old, rich or poor, there's nothing we can do to stop it. So look long at that Christmas tree; it may be the last one that you see. Decorate your house in green and red, 'cause someday you'll be dead, 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 dead. Someday you'll be dead, 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 dead. Someday we'll all be dead. Almost all for this epic holiday stories episode of 2022, folks. This is Martin Newell behind me now, preceded by the South Park guys being ridiculous. Jen Curcio's story was preceded by <laughs> the best Christmas song by John LaJoy and an interstitial called Roasted Ryan by Taj Easton that followed Ryan Estrada's fiery story. So thank you to all of our editors. I mentioned Taj and Hope earlier, but John LaSala and Jeff Barr were all over this episode as well. Not to mention our story coaches, uh, Cindy Freeman, David Crabb, and Gail Thomas were all helping the storytellers to prepare. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. We're back. Folks, don't forget to get over to patreon.com slash risk to hear even more holiday stories. Hope Brush is working on a compilation of anecdotes that many of you sent in. So that's going to be yet another treat over there at patreon.com slash risk. And I wish everyone the happiest of holidays, and a new year filled with blessings and possibilities. <laughs> we could all use it. And folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
Are you tired of bloody high prices ruffling your holiday spirit? Are you tired of bloody high prices? Are you tired? You've seen the movie, you've read the book, you've got the t-shirt, now experience it for yourself. Crazy Eddie's Christmas and August TV and video blowout blitz. Crazy Eddie's gonna save you a blizzard of bucks on TVs, VCRs, anything and everything in TV and video. Remember, we are not undersold, we will not be undersold, we cannot be undersold, and we mean it. It's Crazy Eddie's Christmas and August TV and video blowout blitz. See Crazy Eddie now, his prices are insane.